Right away. So th 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 we're not, in fact, going to be directly addressing what they would have been addressed, addressing to ask what is the difference between us and animals, although um, what we'll be focusing on will be, I think, will be pointing to what that difference is. I'm saying, I'm just, we're not going to directly address, like, here are the rest of the animals, here are, here are we, just how do we sort this out? But, but the things that we'll be going through will be precisely man as a rational animal and the beauty of precisely what does set us apart from the animals, which unfortunately is precisely what would not be appreciated um, at a conference like that. But I, but I will just say this, kind of as regards that whole problem that is so common, that we can assert in our tradition very unabashedly that the only reason that other animals exist is so that we can exercise our rationality well. The only reason other animals even exist is so that we can exercise our rationality well. That's why God designs the universe that he did. This, by the way, in no way implies that they are to be treated cruelly. In fact, it is those who understand this principle who would steward animals and steward them well, but always without making the, the terrible mistake of treating ourselves as simply one of them. Every good shepherd knows that he's not one of his sheep, but he's a good shepherd. But, again, not particularly our, our focus. I said last time I, I always want at least to feel that we've basically answered the question of the lecture. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, give the 22nd answer again so the, to the uh, question that is asked in the title of the lecture, Man is Rational Animal, Fact or Fiction? Well, here it is. It's a fact that man is a rational animal even though the way that many of us live makes it appear to be a fiction. It is nonetheless a fact that man is, in his nature, a rational animal. And just because many of us don't live that way doesn't mean that it can't be done. And this fact of our rationality, when in fact lived well, is a truth of startling proportions in its beauty. And I hope that we'll have just a little bit of insight into that here today. I'd like to give just a very brief review of what we did last time. We emphasized design in nature. Now, nature in, in the, uh, the way that the tradition uses this word is all things that are created by God have this basic structure that they've been given. Nature. So it's not just nature in the sense of grass and trees. Everything has a nature, including human nature. And there is a design in all of natural things. And we considered how we know natural things through their natural inclinations or their natural desires. And so, particularly, we looked in human nature and saw this deep and driving and abiding desire that can only be fulfilled in God. 
and we considered how can we understand this desire, and I think the main insight of last time came through St. Thomas Aquinas, where he said that it's precisely in the Eucharist that God most shows us our own desire by showing us that one thing that truly fulfills it. And so in seeing the depth of our own desire, particularly in seeing what the true object of it is, we, as it were, discover who we are. We only really know who we are when we see the profundity of the one thing that will fulfill our desire and bring us to rest. So I'd like to pick up there and look more closely at this fundamental reality of the hunger for God and continue in our efforts to look anew at human nature, to go back to these basic things, but hopefully uncover, the Greek word for truth is literally an uncovering, hopefully go back and, and uncover the amazing beauty that is there. I always love to say to my students, always know in your heart that when you see the truth, you will be amazed by it. It's, it's, I, I can't think of any way to have a greater joy than to have this confidence that when you, the more truth you see, the more you will be amazed at how wonderful reality is. And I heard a very great lecture one time, just to make a quick side comment, who said, where the speaker said, there's a, a terrible phrase in the English language that should be stricken from our use. And that phrase is, it's too good to be true. And if you think about it, in fact, that phrase is, as it were, the exact opposite of the truth. For the truth is always better than we realized. Always. Always better than we realize. There's nothing that's too good to be true. So I like to start our looking again a little closer to human nature with that, with that conviction. Um, if you look at your quotation sheet, I'd like to open with a, a few words from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 16. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they discussed it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves of the five thousand, how many baskets you gathered? How is it, or the seven loaves of the four thousand, how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to perceive that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
So here, our Lord, who is constantly speaking of bread, gives us the key to understand what he's saying. Bread equals teaching. Our Lord has consistently used the notion of bread to try to teach us who we are and what we need. And here he makes the connection for us between bread and teaching. Our Lord expends much energy to try to convey, even to his apostles, those closest to him, this very simple truth about human nature. Human life is about spiritual food. Human life is about spiritual food or intellectual food. Teaching. We could even use the word doctrine. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The main thing that I think we need to reflect on is at the end of the day, God made us rational creatures so that we might live on His Word. He made us rational creatures so that we might literally live on His Word. That, I present for your consideration, is rationality. That is, again, who we are. We are creatures designed to live on His Word. Now, this might seem like, oh, well, that's, that's nice. That's kind of a phrase that fits with things we've heard before. But I'd like to challenge us we have ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, what does this mean? If we truly have the conviction that that is our life, then we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean to live on His Word? So it's with, with this in mind, trying to understand better what it would mean to live on His Word, I'd like to offer a couple of reflections. And two questions. What does it look like when we human beings are not rational? And then what does it look like when we are rational? And taking, again, that theme, drawing the theme through there of human life is about living on his word. So what does it look like when we're not rational? For we all know that we often, in an important sense, are not rational. And then turn to what does it look like when we are rational? But first we need to make a distinction. This is, the, this is the type of thing that Aristotle would do. There's an important ambiguity in this all-important phrase, to live according to reason. This is one of those phrases that properly understood, we could say, oh, there, there's human life. To live according to reason. Aristotle would be unabashed in saying, that's the human good. Aristotle, pardon me, St. Thomas Aquinas would be unabashed in saying, there's the human good, to live according to reason. But that phrase can be used in many ways, and thus you can say it is ambiguous. 
there is a sense in which all human beings live according to reason. And we perhaps can immediately see we are rational in the sense that we can use our understanding to make free choices. We understand things unless we decide how we are going to live, what we want to do, and we make choices accordingly. Everybody who in any case has reached what's called the age of reason is thus acting rationally in some important sense. Criminals, the greatest sinners, are using their reason to do the things that they're doing. So it's clearly a sense of acting according to reason which is not going to be the same thing as living a good human life. But at the same time, the key insight here is there is a sense of living according to reason, which is the good life. And this is where we have to have the insight that reason was designed to do something. And here, comparing it to the power of hunger and nourishment is very helpful. There are certain, it is obvious that the power of nourishment that is, that is expressed through hunger is designed to be exercised and fulfilled in a certain way. Certain things fulfill bodily hunger. And when those certain things are consumed, then you have the completion, the fulfillment of that power. Similarly, reason is given for a purpose. And if it is used for its purpose, then you can use that same phrase again in a new way. That's acting rationally. So there's acting rationally just in the broad sense of, well, are you using your reason? But then there's the sense of acting rationally, the sense of you're using your reason well. You're using it for what it was designed for. This is why we even commonly would still in our language say to someone, are you being reasonable? Please act rationally. Implied in using that phrase is this key insight that reason was designed to do something in a specific way. We would not say that to someone if we just meant, well, think about it and then do anything based upon that thought. When we say to someone, act rationally, we're implying that reason is designed to act in a certain kind of way. And of course it is. What is it designed to do? It's designed to see certain truths and to live according to them. Reasons designed to see certain truths, certain objective truths that are outside of man, that as it were measure us, that are not determined by us. Our reason is, is designed to see those things and respond to them. And we all implicitly recognize that when we say to someone, Hey, act rationally. There is a truth then. A truth about human nature. A truth about God. A truth about the world around us. 
that provides for us a rational standard for our life. Act rationally means see the truth of reality, make it your own, and live according to it. This should be obvious to us from the design of human nature. This noble reason, this power that makes us who we are, is designed to do that. So the man sees the truth and lives the truth. This is human life. That said, then, that kind of that, that distinction then when we can say, okay, it's one thing to act rationally, just in the sense of using our reason any old way. And then there's act rationally in the sense of use the power for what it was designed for. So what does it look like when we are not rational? So now what I obviously mean by that then is not just acting as an infant without any thought. No. What does it mean when we're not rational in the sense of we're not using our reason well? The way we would judge someone and say, that's not rational the way that you're acting. What does this look like when we are not truly rational? Well, I'd like to look at the, to have you take a peek at the second text that I handed to you. And this, this I, I just find an utterly remarkable and, and, and moving text from the Epistle of St. James. It fits well with our theme. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But he who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer that forgets, but a doer that acts, he shall be blessed in his doing. Just to, just to take a, a look inside this, I love this notion of, this is what I want to set up as what it looks like when we don't act rationally. I think it's particularly good for kind of us as, as Christians, this notion of the man who's seen something, because we're all in a situation where to the extent that we're not acting rationally, it's not because we're off in invisible, invincible ignorance somewhere. I think this image is for you and me. We're the one who has seen, in some sense, who we are, but we turn around and we forget who we are. This notion of forgetting, I think, is key. This is, as it were, your and my irrationality that shows up every day. What does it look like when you and I, though rational animals, aren't living rationally? We fundamentally know how we should be living. We fundamentally know who we are, but then in our daily actions, we turn around and, as it were, forget that. Now, forget is, of course, a, 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 an interesting word there. In any case, it's left behind. Right? It doesn't mean forget in the sense of it's completely gone, but functionally, we forget it. And what do we do? 
Well, interestingly, he says, we do then just our own subjective desires. But what he puts it up against by comparison is we're not doing the law of God, the law of liberty. Rather, we pursue our own subjective desires. This I present to you as, I think, an excellent image of what your and my irrationality looks like. We should know who we are. We have seen our own face, in some sense, in the mirror. But often, we turn around and go about our daily life, forget who we are, and we simply do, as it were, whatever we want. We follow our own subjective desires, and we do our will, let's put it this way, and not God's. That I present to you, particularly in a Christian context, is human irrationality. When we do our will and not God's will. When we particularly should have known otherwise. Put this together with what we were saying a little earlier about acting according to the word and say, we don't take his word and live the truth of his word. His word is reality. We said reason was given to us to see reality. We don't take his word, which is reality, and act according to it. Now, here's a great question for you. Philosophers are always good at asking questions and, and sometimes marginal in answering them, but I'm going to ask you a great one right now. Why is it that so many human beings do not act rationally? Why is it that so many human beings, and again, it's always nice to think of ourselves first rather than others, do not act rationally? I'm not going to try to answer that question today, today other than saying this. Why don't we cast it in gospel terms? In some sense, our souls are not ready, willing, able to really receive the word and act according to it. I present for your consideration to be worth our meditating on the parable of the sower and the different kinds of soil and try to see what our Lord is telling us about why is it that the grain isn't really growing in us. I'd like to talk about that a little bit more next time. We could also put it this way in terms of the epistle of St. John, James. Why is it that we keep forgetting who we are and thus acting irrationally? There must be reasons. We need to try to meditate upon that. But more on that next week. What does it look like when we are truly rational? Well, if you'll allow me to, I'm going to, I'm going to quote a philosopher that, um, if nothing else this evening, you'll, you'll learn someone that you probably hadn't heard of otherwise. Heraclitus. He is, if you were to look in a philosophical textbook, he's what's called a pre-Socratic. That means we're going way back, before Socrates. But we, we only have works of the pre-Socratics in small fragments. 
But I mean, these are the men that were behind the amazing insight of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. Those men didn't come from nowhere. They came from men like this, about which we know much less. Look at this amazing little quotation we have from him. Moderation is the greatest virtue, and wisdom is to speak the truth and to act according to nature, giving ear thereto. Wisdom is to speak the truth and to act according to nature, giving ear thereto. I love that phrase of giving ear to nature. If you're giving your ear to it, it must be speaking. Somehow there must be words in nature that man's supposed to hear, understand, and live. These men had a very clear sense of what you and I call natural law. There's an objective reality that has an amazing truth that governs how we should live. This is precisely the kind of insight that's behind our Christian understanding. Our Christian understanding, I'd say, is simply a fulfillment of this. So that then as Christians, we understand that to be rational is to give ear to the Word of God. The Logos, the Word, that is in fact what is behind the whole natural world. So when the men like Heraclitus said, to be a wise man you give ear to nature, and you hear what's being spoken to us through creation, and then you live a certain way. Christianity is nothing more than the fulfillment of that. Christianity is always the perfect fulfillment of true philosophy. And Heraclitus saw the truth, which we now see more fully by the grace of God and realize the good life, the rational life, is to give ear to the word of God, which not only speaks to us in nature, also has spoken to us, as it were, in person. Along those very lines, I'd like to refer to our Lord's beautiful praise of his mother, which I did that just, just out of order. Of the, I had skipped the quotation there on your sheet from Luke 11, 28. When his blessed mother was praised, blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breasts that nursed you, we know that our Lord's response was the furthest thing possible from taking anything away from the Blessed Mother. Rather, he simply wanted to focus our attention on what it is that he wanted to be praised in his mother. It would be an example to us. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. Rather, don't think about the Blessed Mother simply as one who gave birth to me. Think about this. I will tell you why she is the perfect Christian and your model. And so what does he say? Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God. Almost identical language to, to Heraclitus. 
because Heraclitus actually used the word logos in Greek when he talked about listening to nature. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's what Jesus tells us that the perfect Christian did. His mother. That is human rationality. To hear his word and keep it is to live the rational life well. So, there are two things that I would like to suggest for your consideration that we might say constitute hearing and keeping the word of God. If our life is in hearing the word of God and keeping it as the Blessed Mother did, what are two concrete things that we can get our mind around that this means? Because at that level of abstraction, we can think, okay, I need to listen. Why, well, now what? Now what do I do? I'm listening. What am, what am I hearing? Am I, just, am I just reading scripture? Okay, I'm hearing the words, so we're now what? Well, to this we're going to turn to our, one of our surest guides, and that's Thomas Aquinas. In the bottom quotation uh, from St. Thomas's commentary on the Gospel of St. John, which matches up with some things we looked at last week, he is talking about different ways that our Lord is spiritual food for us. And he gives a couple of different things. And I'm going to take out of them two of the main ones. And that is then to hear and keep the word that is Christ. Particularly is seen in these two things. Living his commandments and contemplating his face. I'd like to just very briefly address those two things. So... Again, where we come, where are we going? Human rationality can be done. It's perhaps best expressed as hearing his word and keeping it. What does that mean? Well, concretely, it means particularly these, these two things. Living his commandments and contemplating his face are to receive, as it were, to hear and keep. His word. So just a couple of thoughts on, on the commandments. The commandments are precisely God speaking to us and telling us the truth of what constitutes our fulfillment. So we hear the word. The word takes the form of commandments that say, live this way. Here, the Word is most directly, you can say, guiding our actions. This is, this is where St. Thomas says it's, it's most obvious what it means to listen to His Word. Because the Word is telling you what to do. So, the commandments are to be seen in this context of this amazing gift. I mean, what Heraclitus, what Aristotle and Plato and Socrates would have done to have that Logos, which is the creator of all things, literally speak words that tell you how to act. They're, as it were, trying to discern from what we call natural law, looking within our inclinations, looking at how things act in the world around us to determine the natural law. We as Christians have the commandments, which are that same word that formed all those things, putting into words for us so that we can understand them, this is how you should act. The greatest act of friendship that could be offered to us 
is that direction of our actions. This is how you should act in order to be happy, in order to be united with me. As regards the second, contemplating his face. Talked a little bit about that in the last uh, series of lectures that we had together um, on the second page of your quotation. Quotation from uh, John Paul II in his great encyclical. Maybe it's just an apostolic letter. I don't remember which. Novo Millennio Innuente. Once the Holy Jubilee year had come to an end. He wrote this, and here's one of the most remarkable uh, couple sentences in that letter, and the italics here are original from the Pope. These are only some of the elements of the Jubilee celebration. It has left us with many memories, but if we ask what is the core of the great legacy it leaves us, I would not hesitate to describe it as the contemplation of the face of Christ. Christ considered in his historical features, in his mystery. Christ known through his manifold presence in the church and the world and confessed as the meaning of history in the light of life's journey. Obviously, key functional phrase there that the Pope loves to repeat again and again, contemplation of the face of Christ. This is to hear the word and make it our own. To contemplate his face, as it were, is to be tuned into, is to be united to the word. And the, the main way that I would suggest that we think about this, and it, it's difficult for us sometimes to know how to think about it, but I, I suggest this, thinking in terms of our what is our interior spiritual life like. And St. Thomas has a great phrase about what the interior life is. It's conversation with God and the angels. The interior life of man, the true interior life, is conversation with God and with the angels. Conversation and contemplation are two sides of the same coin. Contemplate the face of Christ to have a conversation with Christ. And as it were, with the angels about Christ. And Thomas says, the angels are always looking to speak with us about God. If we take the time to listen. This is hearing the word. This is receiving and keeping the word. Again, in conclusion, two aspects of living rationally that we're focused on here in the context of hearing and keeping the word are living the commandments and contemplating his face. I have then just a couple of practical suggestions as to how we might try to live this out to close. Very briefly, three quick practical suggestions. The first is how we turn to the sacraments. Put the sacraments first in our life, 
But turn to them with these things that we've been talking about, conscious in our minds. How do we become fortified to live the commandments, to do His will? As we think of how do we prepare for the sacraments, whether we're talking about particular Eucharist or confession, think in terms of the sacraments as nourishment, precisely so that we can more fully do His will. We all know how challenging it is to truly live the commandments. Make this a conscious part of our effort in turning to the sacraments to be seeking the nourishment, to be able to live the commandments, to live His will. Also, the second point in going to the sacraments, contemplating His face. Just, these, these are two very concrete things. When we come to communion, when we think, well, we don't know what to do. Think in terms of those things. Fortification, to live the commandments, and contemplation of His face. Second thing that I would suggest is meditating on the law. And, and in my, my experience, this is something that isn't, isn't spoken about so much in, in, in Christian piety. In the first psalm, the psalmist says, Blessed is he who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. And St. Thomas likes to say, There's the just man, there's the good man, who meditates on the law day and night. And I'd like to just throw that challenge at you. What's the law that we're supposed to meditate on? Well, there's very concrete places you can look in the law. There are many places in the gospel where our Lord gives commandments. Where he says, do this, and do this, and do this. So for us to look in the gospel for the things that he is saying to do in the voice of a command. Love one another as I have loved you etc., are wonderful things to meditate on. For what greater gift could we have for our life than these explicit directions as to what we're supposed to do? So we need to meditate on them for what they mean for us. This is to receive the Word and to keep it. We go back to look at the Ten Commandments again. If we go back to Deuteronomy, we can look at the commandments that... God made the Jews right where they would see them all the time. They had to be on their doorposts. They were hanging on their very body. And God commanded them, you will say these things several times a day and you will think about them always. And he has that, he has that great line, I will write this law in your heart. We need to think in terms of doing that same thing. And you know what that was. You know what was written all around. And you know what was to be written into their hearts. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart and with your whole strength, with your whole mind and your whole strength. This was to be written everywhere and to be constantly meditated on. And our Lord refers back to those very same things. He says, that's my law too. That is perfection. Talk about a great thing to meditate on. That will be to live rationally, to take his word and it directs us and meditate on it. 
And finally, simply, meditation on all of Scripture, not just on, on the law, but meditation on Scripture so as to find his face. This is to tune in, as it were, to adhere to his word, to devour Scripture so as to find in there our lover. Again, this is why we were given reason. There is no other reason that every person in this room and every person that we're going to pass as we drive home tonight, these amazing human creatures, were given rationality so that they might hear that word and keep it forever. Thank you very much for your attention.